was gonna say it's my fault for just hello Okay. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. Sorry. Sorry, we're in mid, com- mid conversation here. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. Uh, I, Maggie, and I are here as is today is session number sixty-two, and we are returning after the Christmas season uh, back to our opening series. We're going to do a couple more um, in our opening series, and today we're do- going to do the one we've been talking about discussing for a while, and that is Dune. Uh, we're going to look at, as we've been doing, we're going to do the opening of the book, and then we're going to th- we're going to talk about the openings of two adaptations to Dune. Um, we're going to look at both uh, the 1984 uh, David Lynch film and the 2021. Uh, so I can't remember the name of the the director of that one, but. Um. Anyway. 1984, wait, 1984 is the most recent No, the, the recent one. Yeah. Uh, Villain, Vienne, Venue, um, Same right. guy that did Green Knight, right? Right, right. I'll look it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the new one. That's the one we're going to be talking about. So, okay. So, this was, I think... Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve, right. Okay. Of course. So, I... Even before we look at the text of the of the book, I just wanted to comment on the the really striking trend. And I'm trying to figure out is it a genre thing or what is it, right? But um both both films strongly resist. I just want to start with the observations that both films strongly resist doing what the book does. Like, mm-hmm. as far as the techniques for bringing people into the story, um, like, the, the the David Lynch film could not be more opposite, I think, to the book. Uh, and again, and I, I'm not saying, I, as you know, like, this is not like a judgment on it. This is not saying it's horrible because it does something different. I'm just saying it is remarkable to me how fundamentally, to, and, and I really am wondering if this is pointing towards something in the genre, something mm-hmm. in the, um, or at least like, I don't know what, Hollywood's perception of the genre or something. Anyway, let me, I'll, I'll show you more clearly what I mean, but I just, I just, I was overwhelmed almost by that. So, okay, so here's the opening of Dune. The opening of Dune, of course, we get, as we get in every chapter, uh, we get an epigraph, a quotation uh, from one of the Princess Irulan's books. Um, most of them, the vast majority of them, are, are from Irulan's writings. Um, not all of them, but most of them are, and this one is. Mm-hmm. A beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. This every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. To begin your study of the life of Muad'Dib, then, take care that you first place him in his time, born in the 57th year of the Padishah Emperor, Shaddam IV, and take the most special care that you locate Muad'Dib in his place, the planet Arrakis. Do not be deceived by the fact that he was born on Caladan and lived his first 15 years there. Arrakis, the planet known as Dune, is forever his place. From Manual of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Then, the actual beginning of the story. In the week before their departure to Arrakis, when all the final scurrying about had reached a nearly unbearable frenzy, an old crone came to visit the mother of the boy, Paul. 
It was a warm night at Castle Caledon, and the ancient pile of stone that had served the Atreides family as home for twenty-six generations bore that cooled sweat feeling it acquired before a change in the weather. The old woman was led in by the side door down the vaulted passage by Paul's room, and she was allowed a moment to peer in at him where he lay in his bed. Okay, we didn't even have to read the whole scene. Of course, if you remember Dune at all, you will remember this is the Gomjabar test of Paul by the Reverend Mother of the Bene Gesserit uh, at the you know encouragement of his mother Jessica, uh, who is also a Bene Gesserit. Now, um, the when I was talking about how phenomenally different the uh, approach to the the film the Dune film is, the story itself starts well it doesn't start like in Medius race in the sense that it starts in the middle of an action sequence or something like mm-hmm. that right um, but one of the things that I like to think about in fantasy and science fiction novels I, I, I'm always very interested in the first chapter of fantasy and science fiction novels and one of the main things I'm always interested to see is how is the author going to approach um, introducing us to the world Right. right, because like by definition, like what makes science fiction and fantasy science fiction and fantasy is that there are some differences between these worlds yeah. and the world that is familiar and known to us, right? And that it has certain rules, right? Like yeah. we we yeah. establish the rules of that world in those opening sections, so that's why it's so fascinating to see why it works the way it works. Yeah, and do you do you emphasize similarity? Do you emphasize difference? Right? You know, how do you um, you know? And sometimes like. Harry Potter is an extreme example um, uh, of, well, okay, not actually the very opening. I'm thinking about the opening sequence with the Dursley, you know, like the opening bits with the Dursleys, not the opening pre-introduction to Harry uh, chapter. But um, uh, so I guess in the end, that's not as good an example as I was thinking of. I was thinking of the way in which she establishes things as like 99% normal. Right, and then we get the deviations from that. But that's in Harry's experience, starting in chapter two. Really, um, she introduces us much more uh, sort of stunningly to the wizarding world. Right, um, the fact that there is this other strange world behind the the real world. Anyway, so uh, the approach that Herbert takes in Dune here is he is not explaining almost anything. Right. We don't get, um, you know, in the week before their departure to Arrakis, like whose departure? What's Arrakis? Right. What is it? We don't get any. You wouldn't know from the first. The only the only one thing I think that is listed in those first uh, paragraphs that gives any sense that we're in science fiction, a science fiction world at all is the phrase suspenser lamp. Mm. Right. By the half light of a suspenser lamp. OK. That, and I didn't even read that part. That's in the beginning of the sentence paragraph after I stopped. <laughs> in the three paragraphs that I read, um, the, the castle Caledon, the ancient pile of stone. You know, this could be medieval mm. fantasy for all we know. Right. Um, how far in the future is this? Even the time marker that we got in the epigram. Uh, oh, really. oh, right, only says the 57th year of the Padishah Emperor, right? Yeah. Who's that and when was that? We have the faintest idea, right? So, um, uh, 
anyway, I'm, I'm not saying we don't get anything. We do the main thing, and I agree uh, with Phil. The fact that Arrakis is introduced as a planet known as Dune suggests we're in, we are in an interplanetary situation, right? But even that is um, uh, fairly not gentle. Highlighted. Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 fairly gentle. Um, now we are introduced to a lot of really interesting things, right? I mean, like we are con- so we have a few. He's. Okay, so we get a bunch of things... Con- so, anyway, let me finish that first point first. We learn almost nothing about the world itself in these... Like, or rather, he is going to leave us to learn that very gradually over the course of the, of the, of the first series of chapters. Um, and uh, it really... Um, it, takes, it takes some time. Um, <laughs> Uh, the nineteen eighty four battling a dog over here. Is that what you're laughing at? In part, yes. Guys, Merlin is in great form tonight. <laughs> yeah, Don't see. worry. Merlin is Merlin is choosing to be an active participant in today's discussion. So there we go. Oh, of course, you caught him being quiet and good as can be over there. Yeah, yeah. he knew he was going to be on. Camera. When I go mute, you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so um, in the nineteen eighty four film, on the one hand. They follow the book closely in the sense that they start with a, a voiceover from Princess Irulan, right? Not just a voiceover. We get her face, right? We get stars, um, <laughs> really awesome 1980s graphical stars, uh, where you can see the pixels. And then... Um, and they're bright blue. And they're bright blue, <laughs> yeah. Which I think is cool, actually, because it sort of mm-hmm. evokes the whole spice eye thing. I kind of like it. But anyway, and then... Um, but then you get uh, the, not just the um, voiceover, but the, you know, <laughs> talking head over. Yep. <laughs> right. Extreme close-up over. Yes, of the Princess Aralon. And, um, okay, so I, I said on, on the one hand, it seems like the same impulse, Right. To, and it's certainly a nod to the whole epigram thing, right? To the way in which Princess Irulan is in fact used as a framing device in the whole story, like consistently in the entire. Uh, she is sort of your guide to the the Muad'Dib experience all the way through Dune. Yeah, you get that introduction of her, and you even have the word beginning, which is really highlighted in the 1984 version of, like, it's all about the beginning. Look at us starting the same as the text. Right. But it's very quickly, it's not. Well, what she does is this massive info dump. Yep. Right. I mean, we get about like, like the economic structure more than anything <laughs> yes. else. We get yeah. we get we get like five minutes of of pure exposition. Right. Yeah. Let me tell you this world and how it works and explain and all the, the names and, and all, all the, the yeah. I mean, every word is new. So like, that's cool because sure. Great. Here's all the people that we're going to learn and they're all unique names so we can tell we're in sci-fi, but I'm not going to remember any of those as an audience member within like 0.2 seconds. Yes. So risky. Yeah. 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 Risk. I mean the whole, like, let's begin the story with, five minutes of exposition is already uh, especially since it's a short film I mean the film is shorter than part one of the yeah. of the of the of, of the new dune 
Um, and yet they've taken, they've taken like, I don't, I don't, I, I think I'm exaggerating. It's like three and a half minutes or something like that, but it's, it's a big chunk of the opening though. I mean, that yeah. is what they focus on. There's no other imagery. No, there's nothing else nothing going to look on. at. Yeah. It's just this, just her talking to you and explaining yeah. exactly what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Or not what's going on. Explaining the background, the history, the yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. And we, really the economic history. They talk so much about, you know, the, the company structures and, <laughs> and the spice. The and, roots yes. And, yeah. Yes. And which, by the way, was it a strange choice to me? I mean, I remember I rewatched that film back when we talked about it, when we uh, um, when we had Dom and, and Trevor on a while back. Uh-huh. Um, I rewatched that film uh, before then. And um and I was really struck by the fact that they chose, um, this is actually a kind of like, to me, an interesting little theme um, in, in uh, like motif of adaptation choices. Like, what do you choose to give as spoilers and what do you withhold? Like, what information mm. do you foreground and what information do you reveal slowly or even choose to spring as a shock upon your, upon your viewers? Um, because that was a major, the truth about the, 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 the guild, um, space travel and its connection to spice. Like that's a secret. Like that's slowly unfolded. Like we don't find out the truth of that until the end. And the whole point is like within the world, it's a huge secret. Nobody knows. Right. And so we only come to suspect and understand this over the course of, you know, as the book unfolds. Um, And I'm not saying it's critical to the plot or like it's, a you know, again, and obviously I'm not responding in outrage that they decided not to use that as a, uh, you know, suspense building, slow reveal thing in the story. But like to just flat out include it in your three minute, you know, info dump at the beginning is a very remarkable reversal of that of that approach, you know, to take yeah. something which is which is slowly revealed in the book and say, FYI, here's the thing, <laughs> you know, in the first 60 seconds of the film is a it's it's a noticeable choice. And so I don't know. a little bit yeah. jarring because you're just revealing that off the start. So I guess we're now making that a really important element of this film is what that is suggesting. So, right. so if you're bringing it to the forefront and talking about it, then we assume this whole movie is about spice. Yes. And spice travel and that, which like is fair on the one hand, right? Um, it's fair to say that like, because of course the whole climax of the story is focused on the, uh, the wrestling for power and the fact that control of the spice is the, uh, the key to Mm -hmm. power. Right. You know, at the end of the day, that's the final conflict, right? The, the way that the final conflict is handled, uh, in the book. So they set that up. I mean, as you say, like it's all the economics and politics, right. Emphasizing that we don't get any emphasis on Paul or the figure yeah. of Muad'Dib, either as a character or as a mythic figure, yeah. right? And again, all these things are interesting, but you just have to think about it as choices of like, 
regardless of whether you know the original story or not, seeing that three-minute introduction in the 1984 version just shows me that we're going to be watching some sort of a fictional historical film about a historical... You know, it just yeah. reads like facts. It, yes. it reads like it's going to be much more of like a drama documentary yeah. rather than one that initiates emotions at the very beginning and having a voiceover like we do in the 2021 version someone who's heartfelt and talks about connection and we see familial bonds and you know it's just this very different and focus. struggle and, and suffering if, and yeah 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 and if you do know the book then you're seeing these two different introductions quite different from the text as well yes so you're seeing three different ways and you can see why this would be quite jarring to people of just what yeah right right and and uh well actually we might as well move into that because of course um in the 2021 version <laughs> it's very different on the one hand right but it's also exposition like female yeah. voiceover exposition <laughs> for almost yeah, the same the amount point of time that i even like paused I, my husband was here he's a huge Doom fan when i was watching the starts again i paused it and i was like Zendaya is not the daughter of the emperor, right? Like, just, just <laughs> right. clarifying. Like, are we just doing this as an illusion? Or are we just doing this to kind of say, hey, we remember the 84 version. We're going to have this female voiceover. But it's not the same character. No, it's but not. But it did take me a minute to be like, wait, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it is the, the, the connection is really strong there. Yeah. Um, and, of course the strong effect that is created is is the very different perspective right instead of the voice of the um of power because she if i'm remembering correctly in the 84 version she doesn't even mention being benny Gesserit, does she don't think so i don't think so it's, she mentioned being the daughter of the emperor yeah. The Padishar Emperor, Shaddam IV, my father, right? She says somewhat smugly, right? Um, so anyway, she's she is speaking from the position of power and authority. Um, and you can even see in the way that she... I mean, we only see her from, like, the collarbones up, right? So we don't see much of her dress or anything. But she's wearing, she has jewelry and bangles. Very stylized, and, yeah. Yes. I mean, you do see, like stuff yeah. all around her hairline and certain hairstyle and I think she had a really high collar it looked like very Elizabethan there's wealth and power like signals mm -hmm. of wealth and power there um, and so that seemed to be the primary thing that the 21 film was responding against almost mm -hmm. right like we're going to do a similar kind of info like uh, scene setting info dump but instead of doing it from the perspective of the emperor, from the perspective of, you know, this, you know, pampered, powerful, privileged princess, um, we're going to do it from the perspective of, of Cheney. The, we're going to do it from the perspective of, of the Fremen um, on Arrakis, um, which has some really important uh, consequences, too. And we can come back to talk about those a little bit. But I just want to talk about the comparison and contrast there first okay. although they are saying totally different approach totally different angle right of looking at these things at the end of the day it's the same it's philosophy right it's the same it's this it's it's an info dump it's a much more visually engaging info dump yeah i was gonna say it's a very different because like yeah. info dump wise 
it is an info dump, but we do have so much other visual stuff going on with the 21 version that makes it feel more like an action engaged. Yes. That it's much more world building because you're seeing all of these things happen as they're dumping the info. So it feels way more engaging, whereas the previous one is just like reading. I, I was watching her eyeballs to see if she was actually reading the teleprompter. Because <laughs> it was just so right. wooden, you know, yes. directly reading off of a page. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I agree. There are many people I know who are a big fan of that actress and of her delivery. I mean, it's always funny when you like when you go to to like YouTube versions of the opening and you see people commenting like, yeah. "This is one of the classic sci-fi openings of all time." It compares to the Star Wars crawl, and I'm like, "Really? <laughs> you <Yeah>. think?" <laughs> I mean, again, okay. like three minutes into it, I guess five minutes into it, because three minutes is just info dump. But like five minutes into it, I was like. You can see why this has a cult following. Like, it is so stylized. It is so unique. Yeah. That I can see why it has that same kind of iconic following, but it doesn't strike me as quite as impactful as Star Wars. No, 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 not quite as impactful, no. Um, But um, anyway, and again, I'm not just trying to diss on the 84 film. As I think I said last time, I actually, I thought I liked it. I was much more interested in it. Um, when I rewatched it, than I when I saw it in the eighties and nineties, um, but um, uh, but anyway, I um, what I was referring alluding to before when I said that the the approach is so different, like both of them, both films are clearly feeling the impulse to say like we have to contextualize, we have to yeah. ground this. You could you could easily have started a film with an opening scene that looked just exactly like the one that is described here, right? Of the the yeah. you know the Reverend Mother being I almost said Mother Superior, the Reverend Mother being taken, um, you know, in yeah. and like peeking in the door and seeing Paul sleeping and talking to Jessica and the, you know all of like that that would have been an easy opening scene to do, um, and of course and that it is pretty much the second scene we get in the twenty one version. Yes, and you're right. If that if the info dump was removed, that would still be a fairly effective it would work. opening. It would yeah. work, but but they they resist. They, I mean, they could have done that. They didn't do that, right? Um, why not? Why not? What is it? Is it something in genre? Is it because mm-hmm. they're they feel a need to really establish, like? we need to plug you somehow into the world. We need you to understand what's going on here. I, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, it's just, it was, it was very, it was very striking to me. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's something in it about, you know, I'm thinking about like the Star Trek opening space, the final frontier. Like if everyone's just so indoctrinated with, any kind of science-based factual presentation of alternative futures or whatever has to be kind of grounded in this documentary-esque vibe. Like, do we really need to give this much history? No, like we could tell a story in a different way, but maybe giving that much history adds to the world building. Like, look at the depth of this world that we have created. Yeah. But there's so many other films that we've talked about that doesn't do that and the world is revealed and that also works 
Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder what it is about this one specifically that made them feel like they had to do a massive dump of names and places. Yeah, I don't know. But when I think about the effect of it, um, when I think about the effect of it, I find it really important. I find it really revealing about the story. Well, I was going to say the story they believe they're telling, but that's getting inside their heads. Um, mm. Whatever they think they're telling, the story that they're actually telling is significantly... So, okay. This brings me around to what I would identify as the most important difference between the opening of the book and the openings of the two films. By far, most important difference. Um, you watch the opening sequence of the 84 film. What's the story about? As you said, political, economic drama. Presumably drama. Presumably there's going to be drama. We don't know what the drama is yet, but there's going to be drama. right? And it's going to be focused on Dune, right? On Arrakis. Um, I'll come back to that, actually. The connection that all three of them have to the title, Dune, is actually, I find it, that's a really interesting thing, too. But anyway, okay. This is going to be a political and economic history, and the focal point of this, the centerpiece of that drama, is going to be the planet Arrakis. That's what we're told. That's what, that is the entire frame that we have for the story. That's what the 84 film is about. What's the 21 film about? What is it telling us it is about in that opening sequence? Right. It is about the experience of the Fremen. It -hmm. is about sort of the The relationship. The bad guys. Yeah. The relationship between the indigenous Fremen and the the like aristocratic oppressors. Right. Who come Mm -hmm. in Harkonnens first and who's going to. That's the opening question that's left at the end. Who our next oppressor is going to be. Right. Who who are our next oppressor is going to be. So. That's what this, uh, That's what we're told this story is going to be about, right? And we're prompted to think from the Fremen perspective by having um, both by the what we see and by the uh, voiceover from Cheney um, there in the uh, in the start. So okay, so this is a Fremen experience. Who's going to be oppressing the Fremen next? It's again sort of political drama, right? Um, except with this different focus, especially on relationship with the indigenous people. Um, that's and what the story's about. And about the incredibly blunt statement about a messiah. You know, I mean, having that brought into it really does change the tone of what we're about to engage with. And that's the one element of the 21 film that starts to get at what it seems to me is the entire core of the mm-hmm. opening of the book, right? Um, the the book, the opening of the book is all about Paul. It's all this this is, is this is the story of the mythic figure, right? I mean, just consider the sentence: "To begin your study of the life of Muad'Dib, then stop." Yeah. <laughs> Okay, right? <laughs> so so I don't know who that is, right? But apparently I'm, you know, 
it is it is it is assumed that I that a, a study of the life of Muad'Dib is what I in, am in fact beginning, right? And that the life of Muad'Dib is such that many people would in fact do so, right? Um, and that it takes special care in order to properly understand and context. I mean, again, this is this is uh, this is this is really like, for instance, you would not um, uh, if you take a, a a kind of run-of-the-mill important historical figure, right? Nobody would talk like that. You, you wouldn't say like. To begin your study of the life of Abraham Lincoln, then take care that you place him in his time. Born in Illinois in the 19th century, it's like, well, duh, yeah, of, of course. Like, you don't have to say that, like that. Yeah. But um, uh, there's anyway. Th this is even the context, like everything that we know about the political context of the world. Um, 57th year of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam the Fourth, uh, the planet Arrakis, all of that stuff is in context. Like we're prompted from the beginning. All of this only matters, right? The emperor, the timing, the politics, the setting only matters because it will help you to understand the life of Muad'Dib properly, right? I mean, he, yeah, he is the epic figure, right? And we're then given this. Um, the special like key information that gives us the only context we receive for the beginning of the chapter, right? Do not be deceived by the fact that he was born on Caledon and lived his first 15 years there. So he's going to be 15 years old at the, at the start of the story, right? Which we would yes. not know if, if, uh, if Princess Irwin hadn't told us that, right? Um, uh, and, and we are told that Arrakis is forever his place first sentence, in the week before their departure to Arrakis, right? So now we know, right? He's 15. He is on the brink. This is a mythic figure on the mm -hmm. brink of going to the place that is forever his place, right? Um, the legend, the myth, the story, whatever it is, and we haven't the faintest idea what that is, right? is just about to start unfolding. That's the, It's all about Paul. It's all about that myth. So we get a hint in the use of that word Messiah in the mm -hmm. 21 opening, right? But that's the only gesture at this kind of the, the mythic freight that is given to the life of Muad'Dib, which is the entire, it's the only dump we get. It's the, it's the entire context of the start of this story. I do feel like the 21 version tries to play with the mythic feel of it mm -hmm. way more than the 84, if you want to yes. do a comparison, but just like generally. And even like from the very start, I'd forgotten that dreams quote, which I did save, but now I'm not going to remember it. Dreams are messages from the deep. Yes. That dream quote happens before the studio titles. So you see that and hear the, the chant. That the Sardaukar hymn. Yes. Yes. Yeah, before you see the Warner Brothers logo and all that other stuff. Yeah. So, like, setting it up like that even kind of feels like, what am I about to engage with? You know, yes. it's actively sucking you into this very mythic feeling thing. And then the visuals that went along with it. I remember when we first did a review of Dune, I think it was for Mythgard Movie Club, and we were just, or maybe it was, was with... Um, 
Dom Trevor, and we were talking about the world building. Because it was one of the, the first films in the last decade or so that I've been visually in awe of. I, it was amazing. I didn't understand what I was watching because yes. I didn't know special effects could do that. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, I watch a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and I didn't know that was an option. Like, it was right. so good. So it just with the visuals and that kind of entry, I felt like I had already given in right. to feeling like this was a mythical story. Yes. Which is a little bit more like the text. Whereas the eighty four version, I was kinda sleepy by the end of that. <laughs> of the info dump, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And it's just such a solid still shot of an extreme close up and the fade in, fade out is our only variation and I found that distracting rather than engaging. Right. So it's yeah, tough comparison, but the myth element really worked for me in the 21 version of just kind of giving us that entry. Not to the same way, it's just a different way to kind of give that vibe. We're not telling you about this mythic creature. You'll soon learn that there's a, a what's it called? Foretelling, you know, a, a prophecy, yeah. Prophecy, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I was like, fifth Harry Potter. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's a prophecy and stuff that you could kind of lean into that, but yes, yes, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, though, again, it seems to me that the, especially through the opening of the 21, I agree with you about them, that sense of awe, right? I mean, it is, I mean, it, I don't think, I'm not sure I've ever on the big screen seen a spaceship rising from the surface of a planet look as like awe-inspiring as mammoth and awe-inspiring as it does in the in the beginning of that film like it's everything everything that they do they 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 um i mean all like the the lights on the the spice crawlers right as yeah. they, you know through the dust oh, it's, it's just amazing like just the visuals are incredible but that the mythic sense that they invoke, this sense of like, as you said, this is something larger than life. This is like something I've never experienced, um, never experienced in my life, which films often can accomplish, have almost never experienced on film, which is rare for a film to accomplish. Yeah. Right. Um, and yet all of the, the sort of the mythic focus of that was on the world, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Not on Paul, you know, not on not the character. On yeah, on on Mwadib. Or, again, yeah, this figure okay. of Mwadib, whom we don't even know yet. Yeah, we don't get that till later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, a really important... And that strikes me as a difference that is consistent, even in the 21 version. Um do you think it's just you tell me if you think I'm going too far with this but I think it's fair to say that the book the book it, it's it's just it's it's it, it's about Paul like I'm not saying nothing else matters I'm not saying nothing else is interesting I'm not saying nothing else is important it is the story of Muad'Dib right yeah um, I mean he is he is the dominant the entire point of the book um it really fulfills the promise given to us in the first couple sentences of this opening epigram, right? Like we are beginning our study of the life of Muad'Dib, and by the end, we see how he has be he has become the mythic figure. We understand 
the legend of Muad'Dib, how he came to be who he was, how this came to be, um, to some extent, we come to understand, like, the reality and the myth and, and all those kinds of things, right? But it, the myth of Muad'Dib is really what the book is really the focal story of the book. I don't think that's true in the film. I don't think it's not getting that feeling yet. I mean, we only have part one, right? Like we still have more coming, but just by that introduction, it feels more like the Fremen and the plight of these underdogs is way stronger. Yeah. And that whole political tension is really what is driving this story forward. And again, I'm always looking for a through line. So like, I would think that it would be the plight of the Fremen is more of a through line than Paul, who's a facilitator. Like, he's making it move. Right, right. Yeah, whereas in the book, like, Paul is the through line. There isn't a story without him. Yes, yes. And of course, like, and again, I don't want, I don't want people to misunderstand. I'm not saying that I think the film has displaced things 100 miles, right? The myth of Muad'Dib is a Fremen myth, right? I mean, when at the end of the book, we come to understand who Muad'Dib is and how the myth grew and what it means. It is like understanding what it means to the Fremen, understanding like all of these things are, are, um, um, it, it's still a Fremen thing. It's, it's, but I think it's still a significant and important shift that, um, it's like a question of ends, right? The end of the book is for us to understand, to, conclude our study of the life of Muad'Dib, right? To, to, to understand um, the myth. I just, again, as, as Irulan is so interested that we do understand it properly, right? Um, put it in its right context, understand what it means. In the film, um, I'm not saying Paul, you know, Muad'Dib is not and is not going to become a mythic figure. But the function of it is not, the point is not to understand the myth. The point is no. to, is, 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 is the Fremen. I, that's like, it's what yeah, happens. I mean, it's a means to an end. It's a means to a different end. Um, and you feel super engaged and invested in Paul because there is a real affinity to make him our protagonist. Mm-hmm. And it's Timothy Chalamet, so of course everyone's in love with him. Like right. there is a certain, you know, lean into that. But that's not the purpose, right? right? Like, the Fremen are the ones that are the the winner lose here. Paul is kind of the narrator to carry us along the storyline. Right. right, right. Yeah. You care about it. Like, he is set up to be a hero, but yeah. we're more interested in why he's being heroic rather than the hero, which is an interesting exactly. thing. Exactly. It's, it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a, in some ways, almost a small distinction, right? Again, he's still the protagonist. He's still, you know, they are staying true to many of the, you know, they're, they're really bringing in many of these mythic things. Um, and yet it's focused towards a different end, merely mm-hmm. having an understanding of Paul, his character and his impact. That's not, and the opening signals that really clearly, right? What, what do we care about? We care about the Fremen experience. Yeah. Right? That's Who's what we care about. Who's our next oppressor going to be? Who's our next oppressor going to be? Yes. Um, uh, and um, 
that's and so everything that we learn about the mythic um uh the the mythic character of Paul is is sort of towards that end um it's Paul is even less and we don't even get the one reference to Messiah uh in the 84 version right um there it's just um uh it's just setting the scene for a political drama. He's going to be the most important figure in that political drama, right? Again, yeah. it's you know, it's not like they're I'm not saying that either film is shoving Paul aside. He's still the protagonist. He's still the yeah. focal point in a lot of ways. But he's not the story. Yeah. In the same way. That's a nice distinction though. I don't know if I really thought that hard on it before, but it's pretty clear and and these change a little bit too. Like now we have a trailer for part 2 and you can see a slightly different story is, is mm-hmm. unfolding. We're just talking openings. We have three different focuses. Yeah, yeah. And so far in part one, I did feel that the uh, the 21 film really did um, follow through on that difference, basically. Mm-hmm. The difference between mm-hmm. uh, uh, the with the focus on Paul and not. Um, let's talk about the, can I talk about the title thing? For a second, yeah, yeah. All three go out of their way to introduce Arrakis, right? Yeah. The title is Dune, which is a nickname for Arrakis, which is the setting. So, when the title is the setting, that already signals something, right? Puts us in a particular sort of place, a particular uh, uh, framework. Um, Emphasis on world building to some extent, right? Um, the world, the world is the story in some mm-hmm. way. Um, though again, in the book, that quickly gets sort of turned around, right? Arrakis, the planet known as Dune. So we get the introduction of the title there in the last sentence of the epigram. Arrakis, the planet known as Dune, is forever his place, right? So. We're immediately prompted, like we care about Dune because of Muad'Dib, right? Because that's yeah. because that's important for for Paul and his and his legend. Um, in the the hardly an epigram, the info dump in the '84 film also builds up to the name, right? Yeah, Arrakis, known as Dune. Um. Except there, it is. Um, uh, it's like that is the that is the stage on which this political drama is going to be played. Not by coincidence. Again, they emphasize that like Dune is super important. It's not only the setting; it's also like the um, the point of contention, right? It's also the. Um, There must be a word for this, but I can't think of what the word is. Um, if uh, if Harry Potter is the protagonist of the first book, the Philosopher's Stone is what? Like, focal point, central thing? Like, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the thing which is the whole center point of the story. Or like the ring in The Lord of the Rings, right? The yeah, ring isn't exactly or, the protagonist, yeah. but it's the... It's the it's, 
That's yeah. what everybody's saying. Yeah. The MacGuffin? The MacGuffin. Okay, I don't think I've ever fully understood that word, actually. I haven't but... either, but I guess it works because we're all like, MacGuffin? Okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, um, I, I don't I don't I don't understand the I, I don't understand the like connotations of that word. I've never really understood it. Thanks. It's from Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, yeah, I, that would explain why I don't understand it. Cuz I've never been I've never been strong on I've seen some Hitchcock films. I've never been strong on Hitchcock. Um but um uh Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, like it's the thing the story is focused on, right? So it's a facilitator. It's the thing that tells the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Arrakis is not a, is not just the backdrop, right? Um, it is uh, the the point of contention, right? It is like yeah. it is like the Ring of Power. It is like um, you know the Philosopher's Stone. Um, okay. See, JJ, I had a vague suspicion of that. JJ gives the definition as an object event or character in a film. This is MacGuffin, uh, an object event or character in a film or story that serves to set and keep the plot in motion, despite usually lacking intrinsic importance. That last part was the thing I had a vague suspicion of and why I don't think that that applies here because like the ring of power is not a MacGuffin. It has a definite, it has a, 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 an intrinsic importance, uh, and it's not just a premise to keep things rolling. That, okay, that is the vague sense that I had of that there was some kind of connotation there that I didn't feel worked. Arrakis isn't a MacGuffin either in that sense, right? Yeah. It does keep the plot in motion. Um, you could say, I suppose, that the Philosopher's Stone is a MacGuffin as it never gets used, and it's just a, it's more of a concept than a, yeah. um, than a thing. Like, it certainly doesn't, it does not itself do anything. Uh, in the way that, like, the Ring of Power does or that Arrakis does, right, in that It way. affects Nicholas Flamel, and that's about it. Right, or we're told that it does, but, of course, we never yeah. meet him either. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's all That's all pretty theoretical. Um, right, good. Uh, Zenkai Khan says, it's the, the, thing the, story, the thing in the story the characters care about and moves the plot forward, but the audience doesn't necessarily care about. And, yeah. yes, the... Um, Maltese Falcon seems like a perfect illustration of that, actually. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So that's that's not exactly what uh, that's that's not what Arrakis is, because again, it, it does matter, um, and we are led to care about it. Um, the introduction to Dune to Arrakis is most significantly different in the Twenty One film. Right, because again, since the whole rooting of the story within the context of that opening is the Fremen experience, it is a native Arakeen perspective, right? Um, these are the natives of Arrakis. They know Arrakis. Well, I say natives. People are going to yell at me for that. I know the Fremen came there a long, long time before. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Point is, from the point of view of the movie, it is they—they they are the indigenous peoples. They are the natives uh, uh, dealing with the imperialistic interlopers. Um, but um, yeah. Um, so, given that we're we get it from its perspective, we get a very different feel. A very a, Arrakis matters. Dune matters because it's their home, right? Yeah. 
it matters, like, if we're led to care about them and their plight, as I think we are in the opening of the 21 film, it's for their sake that we care about Dune, right? Think about the difference in, with the spice, how the spice is introduced. We know about the spice, we're told about the spice and about spice farming um, in both of the film adaptations, right? In the 84 film, we're told about it only in the context of economic and political power. Because it's the most valuable and most important substance in the universe, um, Arrakis is wicked important. As we and would the focus say on like the necessity of space travel, right? I feel yeah. like they really hammered that home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not just it's not it's just expensive for a frivolous reason, right? This is yeah, why it's not they. A diamond. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it is. Um, uh, it is. It is. It is absolutely crucial. Um, whereas, again, in the twenty one film, the spice farming spices on, only comes up as the reason that the oppressors have come, right? Um, the justification, right, of, uh, you know, for the oppressors to be coming in and um, uh, and oppressing the Fremen. Um, yeah. Once again, you can see how the Fremen are being kind of almost put into the Paul place, the Muad'Dib place, right, that, that the book establishes. Um, yeah. Can I say another thing about frame? I love the fact that the 84 film tries to do I say tries. Oops, that was uh, that's perhaps a little bit too um, judgy. judgy. But um, they are clearly attempting to preserve the concept of the Princess Irulan frame, which the 21 film makes no attempt at doing. Right? We get the character of Princess Irulan, like she's um, but we don't have anything that corresponds to her epigrams that begin every chapter of Dune, or almost every chapter of Dune. Um, but um, we don't even have her right in the twenty-one version. She doesn't. I don't think we saw her. Did we? I don't know. No. In the trailer for part two, and that was a big deal to see her in the yeah. trailer. So I don't think yeah. we've seen. Any I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah. She's in, in the story, like in the actual narrative of the book, she doesn't come in until the final scene, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think she gets lines. Hmm. Ironically, the one whose voice we've been hearing consistently throughout the entire book, I don't think speaks uh, in the book itself. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's she's a she's a figurehead. Um, yeah. You know whom he's going to marry in order to, uh, um, which of course she doesn't really betray uh, the fact that she is the wife of Muad'Dib. In fact, <laughs> that she's talking about her husband is not something you can tell from her writing. Um, but in any case, uh, sorry, I'm pausing here. I'm struggling because this is a place where I find it really difficult to resist 
that like knee jerk vocabulary uh, vocabulary of um, complaint, right? I would just I would because we're all friends here. I would just confess what I almost said without thinking about it, which is I almost started talking about how like they tried to do this but really screwed it up, or like that they didn't understand um, how the epigrams but work in the book. As you said, sometimes that is very helpful conversation because it shows where something jars, so then yes. it becomes a talking point for us to go through. So exactly that's okay. But I'm, I'm not good. going to assume that they're dumb, and I'm not going to assume that they're failing. What instead I'm going to begin by observing is that their framing, the whole concept of their framing mechanism is completely different. Um, the primary difference is Princess Irulan is talking to us directly, to us, the audience with our butts in the seats watching the screen. She addresses mm -hmm. us. Um, now, you might say, like, well, but she's addressing you. She's speaking in the second person in this epigram in the book, too. How is it different? It's different because it's a quotation from a book we've never seen or read that we know to be written at a different time. We're only, like, eavesdropping on this. Yeah. Right? Princess Irulan is speaking to us. And what's more, she's speaking spontaneously. Remember that line yeah. in the middle where she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. Right? She actually yeah, says, like, oh, I forgot to tell you. And this, the the text being from the manual by Prince, I mean, that's yeah. the quotation. That is curated. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. That's a very different delivery. It's the, the, uh, um, I actually think on the whole, the citations of the epigrams at the starts of the chapter are more impactful than the quotations themselves in establishing the like mythic frame of Monty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's not just that, like the fact that there is a manual of Muad'Dib, manual, right? That yeah. word manual, like you need a handbook on Muad'Dib that suggests that Studying the life of Muad'Dib is not just something you might do like you might study the life of Abraham Lincoln if you find him interesting, right? Right. But that this is like, this is practical, right? You know, for, in order for you to succeed in life, you must study the life of Muad'Dib. Here's your manual to Muad'Dib, right? Um, but again, it's, it, that by itself would have been, yeah. if every single one of the quotations at the beginning of the chapters uh, were from that book, it would have a striking effect, right? But there are like 15 different titles by Princess Erolan about, you know, about Muad'Dib. She clearly has written many, 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 uh, and again, the, the, as those begin to accumulate, right? Anyway, the citations, really important. In the film, instead, the kind of framing mechanism that they get, the, the, um, the, the citation makes the epigram actually more distant than the main narrative, right? It feels like you're now beginning a, a direct experience, whereas even though it's, a, you know, the, the epigram is second person, right? It seems to be talking to us directly. It's more distant because, in fact, we're just reading a quotation out of a book that we don't even know, right? It's almost like overheard conversation, whereas... Mm in the week before their departure to Arrakis, when all the final scurrying about had reached a, This is immediate. We're watching this happen in real time, right? In, um, in the film, the effect is completely opposite, 
she is speaking to us directly, spontaneously, in real time. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Right? Mm. And that, therefore, that sets the entire narrative of the film itself as chronologically and geographically removed from us. Right? That On that, we're a spectator, right? We're sitting there chatting with Princess Irulan, and then together we're going to watch. Is, is almost like the effect of it. I mean, not together we're going to watch in like an MST3K sense, but um, <clears throat> uh, though MST3, an MST3K approach to Dune by the Princess Irulan would be awesome. Would be pretty cool. <laughs> like, that yeah. would be really, really great. But anyway, um, oh, that should be done, <laughs> actually. Oh, so my that's goodness. that's the fan tracks option. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, uh, yeah, the, uh, the like, fan tracks within like the uh the 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 the, the quasi fictional analytical frame oh so basically yeah. we're fan fictioning fan tracks fan fictioning co- fan fiction yeah. commentaries yeah. yeah yeah oh no that's a genre that needs to that happen that could be a whole lot of fun yeah i'm going off on so many other stories exactly right now imagine a gandalf commentary on the lord of the rings yeah. films yeah a charlie commentary on twilight uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, we don't oh, have a good time with it. No, anyway. this is a this is a thing. No, hang on, this is a thing. I know. We're doing <laughs> this, <a> thing. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, no, that's um, that's actually really <laughs> that's really delightful. That's really delightful. A, a, a Mary Bennett commentary on Pride and Prejudice. Oh man, there's so many you could do. There's so many I you know. could do. Just like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't. Nobody could endure listening to a Lydia commentary on on Pride and no. Prejudice. But well, I originally thought Mr. Collins, and I was like, oh. no, no, <laughs> Mr. B- Mr. Bennett though, a Mr. Bennett commentary. Mr. I, Bennett I would, would be great. Yeah, Mr. Bennett would yeah. be awesome. Mr. Bennett, Mrs. Gardner, I would listen to a Mrs. Gardner commentary. She would have like the sensible. Let me tell you what's really going on and what yeah. they're all doing wrong. Kind of, uh, 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 you know, sort of slightly snarky, uh, but like be- benevolent and wise commentary. Um, Bingley's sister, Mrs. Bingley. I, I, I would probably follow that one. Mrs. Bingley. Kind of oh, yeah, that yeah. would be fun to do. That would be snarky uh, and judgmental and and and, and horrible. Kind of yeah, no, that would that yeah. would that would be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, and thinking of the Lord of the Rings from so many oh. different perspectives. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, the eye. <laughs> in that, in that, in that, with that, like, I see you <laughs> kind of voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Edith, no, I agree. The farmer maggot commentary. Oh, man. Yeah. No. Fun. Uh, if if you could get somebody with the accent who could pull it off, the Gaffer Gamgee commentary on um, uh, on 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 the Lord of the Rings could be hilarious. Um, but um, anyway. Yeah. So um, now this is um, this. Yeah, <laughs> Gregory Simons. I'm just thinking exactly the same thing. Were really yeah. tricky, though. You know, I'm thinking about Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, it would have to be somebody that does travel. You know, I'm like, oh, the bartender, you know, the puppet Bray, right. that'd be phenomenal. Right. But he only butterbur. Really need. Well, because yeah. like some people like the gaffer and oh, yes. right and like butterbur. 
a lot of it would be beyond their own. They'd spend the whole movie being like, whoa, <laughs> what yeah. the heck is that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Um, this is. Um, this uh, is a fun tangent to go down is what this is. This is a very fun <laughs> tangent to go down. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. like another like. When we do another call, fundraiser, like <laughs> you guys get to choose which special yes. commentary we create. But I don't think I'd be clever enough to do it. I feel like we need to work with an actual actor and like create a script and make this happen. Because I think I would, good. I think I would love to help with the script of that. I think I doubt I would be the best person to deliver it. But or um, you get like five of us in a room that all know the book well enough, and you just bounce off each other, and it becomes yeah. like a comedic routine. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, be fun. Oh man, yeah, that would be awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, um, Princess Irulan. That's what I was talking about. Okay. So frame. All right. I'm back. I worked my way all the way back my mental breadcrumb trail. Princess Irulan. Frame of eighty four versus. Okay. Yeah. So, what is the so so I'm trying to um, I'm trying to approach the frame of the 84 version constructively rather than just saying that they missed the point and have gotten it wrong. Um, they are doing it very differently. And yeah. the, the, what mattered to the, and again, it's, it's, it fits at least it, it goes in the same direction as the change that they make to, um, the change that they make to, um, the fo- like the 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 lack of focus on Paul, right? The the I don't want to say demyth, the you know demythologizing because that's not that's not necessarily fair to say the whole film, um, but again the decentralization of Paul of Muad'Dib, right? This is not the Muad'Dib story. That's not at all what we're told at the beginning in the info dump in eighty four. Um, she so the distance. In, in a large part, the function of the frame, the, the, I think the primary impact of the frame in the book um, with those citations, right, is to build up this sense of myth. It's not only myth, it's mythic history. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are being told before we begin not only that Muad'Dib is a mythic character or will become a mythic character, but like the history books have already been written about it, and, and they're very structured and yes. detail oriented. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This like, is yeah, like a one-off Sunday afternoon paperback. Like there are full postgraduate degrees focused on this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that that just, that provides such an important when you know we're seeing the Reverend Mother walk down, you know, this old woman walking down, this old crone, as we're introduced to her in the first sentence, right? Walking down the hall um, and seeing the boy Paul, right? I mean, just look at that first sentence that's there on the screen, right? An old crone came to visit the mother of the boy Paul, right? Um, We come to that with, we don't even know for sure that Paul is this mythic Muad'Dib figure, but we probably have a suspicion, right? Even in sentence one, we have a suspicion. I think that we would assume that. 
Yeah. Right. So again, the purpose of the frame is to kind of propel us into the story in these yeah. ways, right? With these um, actions naturally that work. Yeah. Yeah. What is the effect of the so the kind of frame that Princess Erewhon establishes in the '84 film is a totally different kind of frame. It is a I'm we're conveying information to you, but we're going to do it in, in a sense. It is I'm not saying it has the impact of, but it's similar to the to the to the to the crawl in Star Wars, right? Um, we are beginning by conveying to you background information that is important for you to contextualize the scene you're about to see, right? Little, this is going to make little sense to you if you don't know some basic things. Here is your basic intro yeah. to the story, right? And in a sense, like whether or not it succeeds perfectly or not, by having it be not only just a, like not 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 only is it not text. Not only is it, it's, it's not even just voiceover, it's her face. Like, she's there on screen. I am talking to you. I am making direct eye contact with you. And I am talking to you spontaneously. Oh, I forgot to mention, right? Um, so we're receiving all this information, but I think they're trying to personalize it, right? They're trying to, like, it's being shared with me personally. I'm you know, being invited to care, not to remember these names, but I, I'm in being invited to care about this. I mean, because it does feel kind of live, it's like it's an infomercial or a news broadcast, you know? Mm -hmm. there There is, like, very much a, I'm coming to you live from... <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Though we do still have that sense of history, right? She's talking yeah. about things that did happen, and, and you know, she she, from her own point of view... She is clearly looking back on these events while we yeah, don't live, but it's yeah. it's a retrospective. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, and which again, notice how that too has the effect that I was describing of distancing the main narrative, right? It's yeah. the frame that's immediate, and the main narrative is distant, which again is the flip of what the frame in the book accomplishes. Yeah. Um, but um. Anyway, I, 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 so again, I'm trying not to say that they just did it wrong, but what, what they're doing is a different, is a very different thing, um, and goes in an entirely different direction, has almost the opposite effect, um, of, uh, has almost the opposite effect of the frame in the book. Um, and this is, again, this is one of those things as you've said many times, you know, the question of how faithful is it to the book is not a sensible question, right? Um, because uh, they are, in a sense, they are being much more faithful to the book than the 21 film, right? There's, in a, and in a sense is the key phrase that you yeah, just uttered. Yeah. Because he's in a sense, is going to be different here. So yeah. what are faithful to right right exactly i mean it's it's it depends on what matters to you right um because yeah i mean there's yeah i i wonder maggie i remember when i did a really detailed unfortunately this has been mostly lost to history because 
um, I used lots of clips. This was before YouTube cracked down on this, and so it was retroactively cut. Um, it no longer appears on our YouTube channel. But at the end of my um, my Watership Down class in in uh, in Mythgard Academy, I did a, a long discussion of the the famous uh, horror, horrifying, bloody uh, Watership Down cartoon. Um, and um, uh, it was one of the places where I was really wrestling with, I'm afraid I was probably a little bit more dismissive than I ought to have been. Um, I hadn't benefited from all that I've learned in the last couple of years, but one of the, the conclusion I remember saying is that like they, that is an extremely faithful adaptation in a lot of ways. Like they stay very, very close to the book. And I remember sort of joking um, that they were extremely faithful to everything in the book except for everything that mattered. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating example of a story which follows very, very closely and yet manages to tell a story that feels, that goes in a totally different direction and feels very, very different from, uh, from the original story. Um, I think that that's a really, um, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating illustration. Again, it's, it's one of the things that I often think of when people are talking about faithfulness, because on one level, like you could scarcely ask for more in terms of faithfulness than that adaptation gives you and yet i think it's so far from the 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 core and spirit of the original uh, in every way that matters and i i think the 84 opening is a good example now i'm not saying that i i think that there's no i think there's a significant risk in the 21 opening there's with all of the wonderful things that it does again it does make a really strong statement a strong statement that this film is interested in the experience of the fremen as oppressed indigenous people, it's not fundamentally a story about the epic, uh, you know, not epic, about the mythic and legendary figure of Muad'Dib. Um, And that's a very, very significant change, which I will be interested to see how that pans out. Like, you know, what that, what that means in the, in the end, you know? Um, But um, anyway, uh, that is um so yes the 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 there is a clear shift in focus in the 21 film um a shift in frame which is which seems which seems to be very deliberate the deliberateness of it seems to me to be suggested by the similarity of having a female voiceover info dump at the start, and yet, you know, doing it uh, from such a pointedly different situa- um, uh, perspective. Um, and yet, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, in the end, do they, um, how, how, how far away from the book do they go? And again, here's the thing that really burns the biscuits of many people. Of course, it doesn't really matter if they go somewhere else. Like, they're not obligated, really, to do the same thing and to tell the same story. Um, That's what is so interesting. If you're not going to tell that story, tell me why. Yes. You know, like, 
Yes. And I'm saying that as like a fan, but also that would be the question I would bring into the creative space of like, why aren't you following that line? Why is your story better slash more important slash more engaging slash more successful, whatever? Right, right. Gonna changes. Great. Welcome. That's the beauty of adaptation. But why? Right. And I think so far, my reaction to the first film in general was that I'm satisfied so far with the answer to that to that question, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, even the answer that the opening suggests. The opening suggests to me that we are going to move the center of the story away from the myth of Muad'Dib and towards the Arrakis experience and tell the story of Muad'Dib in, the, in, that, in that Fremen context because we are not only interested in the in the mythic figure of Muad'Dib, but we are interested in the experience we want to put first in we want to put in center stage the experience of the Fremen and their response to that myth, rather than just the myth itself. That to me is a satisfying answer to that question. I can get behind that. I think that's also a really interesting way to frame it because basically they're covering their butts and giving themselves two opportunities for success. Where if you just tell the story of Moadib as, as this mythical mm-hmm. creature, that runs a risk because we have a lot of chosen one storylines. We have a lot of Christ-like figures and it's yeah. tough to get away from those comparisons. Yep. But if you have the plight of an oppressed people alongside an unbelievable hero... And I care about the unbelievable hero. They are developing that mythos yes. really well, that yes. I'm engaged in that, but I need to know how that's going to affect this storyline because both these things are really important. It's, yes. That's, yeah, it's like an insurance policy. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I do think that it is it is an interesting question, and it's one of the things that I think... Um, it comes down... And this is the thing that... When I talk about, like, you know, that was before I've learned what I've learned in the last few years. This is, the one. I think, one of the, the core thing that I've learned. The mistake that I always made, and that I think many, many people make, is to think that an adaptation, that the job of an adaptation is to, to just retell. Like that it it has to be the same thing. Even when we talk about, even when Tolkien, in his very thoughtful, um, far more thoughtful about film adaptation than many Tolkien fans are, um, his thoughtful, the, the famous letter in which he's reacting to the, the Zimmerman script um, of the potential Lord, disastrous Lord of the Rings, or almost certainly disastrous if it had been made, Lord of the Rings adaptation. He talks about a, a thing that, many Tolkien fans love to quote about being true to the core of the original. And there's, I, I, I agree with him that there is a core and that that's important. But at the end of the day, what I've come to see is you don't have to, in fact, do the same thing. It's important to a film that seems to be operating in ignorance of that core, like, not yeah. seeming to know or care what the core of the original one was. This is why I get to think back to, because when we talked about the core of the original, I think of our, our, our um, Christmas Carol discussions from the, the year before last now, I guess, uh, technically, uh, from, you know, 13 months ago. Um, that's why I think the, 
the Blackadder adaptation, which delightfully reverses the Scrooge story, um, is uh, is still it's still occupying the Christmas Carol space, right? It's still it's it's engaging. It's very much aware of what the core yeah. of the story is, um, yeah. and it's doing a, a a very funny different thing with it, right? And I think potentially the new Dune films are doing an interesting new thing with if the core of Dune is if the core of Dune is the myth of Muad'Dib, right? Like how a person comes to mythic status, like what, um, you know, how legends and myths are born. Like that's, that's kind of the, the, um, uh, and, and it wraps in all kinds, you know, like messianic traditions and, and, and all kinds of other things into that. Um, the new film is aware of that. It's not disregarding it, right? It's not just kind of setting that aside or pretending that that doesn't exist. But it's also not developing. It's, it's, it's doing a different spin. It's doing a different take. It's putting the focus in a different place. It's telling it from a different perspective. Um, and that's interesting. Why not? Yeah. Why not? You know? And these are the tricky things we have to keep reminding ourselves. When you were talking about Watership Down, it was like, it's okay to feel reaction and to discuss that reaction. It's not okay to write it in stone as if it's the only option. Right. You know? So, Oh, I mean, I, I want to see an adaptation based on a book I love tell it the way I love it. So that's why you're disappointed when something comes out differently, because that's not what I love. You changed it. You know, right. that's that's not. Yes. Yeah, either that's either so you have failed to glimpse what I love about it. Like, I, I hope that we shared something about it and apparently we don't. Right. And I, I kind of trusted you with this beautiful thing and now you've broken my trust. Like there's right. all these super emotional, close to my heart things because that's how we feel about story. But it's that the line that you said, you know, an adaptation doesn't have to stay true to a text. It doesn't have to, but we would like it to sometimes. We would wish it would sometimes. You know, there's, there's all these different variations that like whatever emotions you're bringing to watching an adaptation are valid and your reactions are valid, but they're not the beyond. Also, it's just kind of a nice impetus and a nice way to investigate yeah. some of this. Be different ways to tell a story are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> or can be. Some of them can be god-awful and maybe not be as successful, in your opinion. So, right. right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I, I, so, uh, Phil is asking... Is it about Muad'Dib or about what he did? And I would say neither. It's mm. about the idea. It's about the myth. It's about... Um, I don't know... I have a hard time thinking of any book that is more interested in the very concept of myth than Dune is. Is, I think, one of the ways that I would say it. Um, but... Um, yeah. Um, 
Storyteller, one thing I would say in response, uh, Storyteller on YouTube, one of the things I would say in response to your comments, about, you know, you, you didn't like the really huge epic, uh, uh, and I hear the word you use is pretentious, which I hear, like I can understand that reaction. Um, the reason I, where I disagree with that is that I think it is a big part, I mean, sort of Maggie, like you were describing before, it's not just like I'm trying to impress you. It is the sense of, as is appropriate to a story which is so focused on myth, the creation and invocation of awe is a really important element of Dune. I mean, I would say it's an essential element of Dune. If you don't experience awe, whether it's the awe of the sandworms, like the sandworms invoke awe, like that he goes so far out of his way, not just to make them scary, but to make them awful, like full of awe um, to the size of the spaceships, even like everything is huge. Everything is is designed to invoke this sense of awe and wonder. And again, that's very fitting. It, it, it strikes a very fitting atmosphere in a story which is primarily about myth. And so I think that any film that does not um, invoke awe in that way, and I thought they did a marvelous, marvelous job. That's why, to me, it didn't feel pretentious. It felt like I'm. Uh, they are attempting to inspire awe. That's just exactly what I want to see. Like that, th there I was feeling like, "Hey, we are having the same experience of Dune. Like yeah. you are, you are, you are loving the same thing about Dune that I am." Um, and so that's what I, that's what I, uh, uh, that's what I thought about that. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, like on on Twitch, I agree. When an adaptation is so radically different, like the 1966 Hobbit animation, comes all the way back around to being fascinating. Yeah, oh, yeah. I quite like. You take something and completely spin it on its head like I can remove the emotion and say well this is unique you know and look at it totally differently though I would say that the the Rankin-Bass Hobbit is a remarkably also from a certain perspective remarkably faithful adaptation of the story um yes. in fact we have tracks on that don't we we do yeah yeah Nubita uh, and I talked about that quite a bit yeah yeah um Yes. Um, okay. Yes. Um, I keep in mind, Edith, if anybody wants to talk to you about why Tolkien hated Dune, just don't forget that it's speculation. We don't know why Tolkien hated Dune. We do know that he read it. We do know that he didn't enjoy it. We don't know why. <laughs> like that's like Tolkien liked uh, Asimov, did not like Dune. Don't know why. Read them both. Um, had his preference, didn't explain. Also hated Lord Peter Whimsey, for which, like, I have a hard time forgiving him, honestly. Um, but uh, there we are. Um, okay, all right, we are uh, we are out of time today. But uh, so next time we're gonna we're coming towards the end of our openings. I keep saying this, but then we keep thinking more things to do. Visit openings because it's yeah. such a great look at an adaptation. But yeah. we think start winding up this element yeah it's been so it's been so useful um uh it's so instructive for me um but anyway so we we were we were given a suggestion so you may remember 
in our prize drawings, um, our grand prize drawing. Uh, back in the in the fundraising campaign, uh, we gave away the opportunity to 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 you know make suggestions for what to do. And our winner had a bunch of marvelous suggestions. Um, and um, was our winner? Sorry, Jennifer. What? Jennifer Mello, yes, Jennifer Mello was, yes. Um, so Jennifer had a bunch of wonderful suggestions, um, and one of the things that she was interested in seeing was for us to discuss some children's classics, which I think is a really, really great idea. So we're going to be year. Yeah, we could spend a lot of time on that. There are a lot of examples of this. Um, but the one we're going to start with, which again was one of Jennifer's suggestions, is Alice in Wonderland. So next time, we're going to we're going to do openings again. We're going to look at the opening of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, and then we're going to look at the opening of both the Disney animation and the uh, the Johnny Depp uh, one. Um, so uh, we're going to do we're going to do um, uh, so, th and we may also we're um, strongly. I know I know I'm strongly tempted to do Winnie the Pooh as well. Um, so we may we. And Peter I really Pan, love yeah. Pan too. Yeah, yeah. Peter Pan, we, we may get around to that also. So, um, um, so yes, we will um, uh, we will be uh, we'll be looking at um, multiple versions or probably several different classic children's stories. Um, anyway, so we're going to start with Alice in Wonderland. So Alice in Wonderland next time. Uh, we'll look at the opening, um, and it is of course I think it is really interesting to look at this. Um, thinking about the way that the that story is framed as a children's story right and how that is then that is a, it's a it is to me a really really interesting case study just as i was talking about like are there drama or like are sorry are there genre in, implications for the way that these films are being introduced the dune films are being introduced what are the genre implications for how a, a film based on a children's story is being introduced um uh, so anyway, all right, um, that is that is what we're going to do next time. Um, thanks everybody, uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Hopefully, there's a chance we might next week might get shifty, but we'll see. Um, we're planning next week. I'm driving back from London with a two year old, so as long as I get back in time, we'll be here. But yes. we have an embassy to see if we can get a passport so who knows how long that's going to take exactly so, yeah. so there's a chance of delays um but in any case we will uh, we will we will do what we can do all right thanks everybody and we will see you guys again soon bye now